You've tuned into Omega Church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. Good morning, and I know uh, what to challenge John in if I get in the car and he's playing Rihanna when we go home from church, don't I? Um, I feel like it would be kind of remiss of me not to say, let's make our usual proclamation. So the kingdom of God is within me. It is indeed. Hallelujah. Praise God for an awesome time of worship this morning. Um, this morning we're going to look at Revelation really briefly because there is so much in there. <laughs> My goodness. Um, we're going to look at a couple of the letters which Gus has just read one of them out. Each letter um, starts with a description of Jesus um, or well addresses the church and it starts with a description of Jesus. Some sort of encouragement to the church. Most of them have a correction. There is the exception. Uh, a warning but also a promise to those that are victorious as well. I'm not sure, you're about to tell me if I'm the only one with any uh, social awkwardness, but has anyone else ever been in that situation where you're walking along and someone's coming toward you and you're like, oh my goodness, is that so-and-so? Oh, is it them, is it not? Do I say hello? If it's not them and I say hello, what is that? Look? If I do say hello, then you know what kind of, am I going to be standing here talking for the rest? Has anyone else had that? Is it just me? Oh, feel all right, it's not just me. Um, I was walking along the, um, actually this park one day, uh, during a lunch break and someone came was coming towards me and I hadn't seen who I thought it might have been in, in a few years like you know we used to be friends walking along and I was like oh is it them or not and so that's right as they approach and I'm kind of like the person anyway even if I don't know you walking down the street I'm like hi how you going you know so that doesn't worry me too much but it's more the bit of if it is them what are we going to talk about? Like, you know, if we stop and chat, what, what's the interaction? You know, just the superficial level stuff, and then five minutes later you carry on. You never see that person again for another five years, right? But as this happened to me, it wasn't them, so all awkwardness was, avert, uh, was avoided. But as I kept walking, I was thinking, what if that was Jesus coming towards me? Do I, am I confident enough that I know his face? Am I confident enough that if I walked past him, I would be able to say hello and I could actually sustain a worthwhile conversation with him. What would the depth of that interaction with him look like? And the reason I share that um, is not just to out the fact that we're all a little socially awkward, um, but actually I think it's the key to being able to discern and sustain the victory that's talked about in each of these letters, is having that real knowledge of Jesus being able to recognize his presence and being able to discern maybe when it's not there as well. So we're going to look at the letters to Ephesus, uh, to the churches of Ephesus and Sardis this morning. And the reason I picked these two is because the description or the characteristics that are pulled out of Jesus, there's a little bit of a link there. So to the church of Ephesus, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And to the church of Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. 
The seven stars representative of authority, the fact that Jesus is the master of every spiritual power and authority. The seven lampstands, Jesus is central to the church. He walks among the seven lampstands. He needs to be recognized as the center, the foundation of the churches, or of the church as a whole. The word holds in the Greek, and I'm not fluent in, in uh, the Greek language, so I apologize if I mispronounce any of these words, but the, the Greek word for holds is kratain, um, which is an emphatic word for holding, meaning they belong to Jesus. They don't belong to the pastors. They don't belong to the eldership of any church. They belong solely to Jesus, and he holds them securely. And seven being the number of completeness, he holds the fullness of the church holds the seven spirits of God. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God to bring to his people. Let's start with the letter to the church of Ephesus, shall we? A little bit of context. It was a famous city in the region. A lot of um, superstitious activity and a lot of immorality, both when it came to particularly around their finances, um, sexual immorality, but the church was one of great teaching, right? It had had Paul, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, John the Apostle. It, it, was, it had great teaching, yet it had a great foundation. It was doctrinally pure and it stood for the truth. Um, in the end of that uh, passage, it says there, but you also have this view, hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus also hated. Uh, and I saw this definition, um, which I thought was interesting for the Nicolaitans. Deceivers from the body of Christ claiming they're not destroying Christianity, but merely presenting an improved and modernized version of it. How often do we see that today, where we compromise on the truth and the word of God because it's more modern or it's more fitting for our society? Yeah? They didn't do that. They stood for the truth and they tested what was right. The word that's used in there for patience, hupomone, meaning steadfast endurance, it can stand up under pressure. This church was solid, yeah, as a church. They were seeing and experiencing revival, healings, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The economy of sin was going down. Yeah, they were, these are the things we pray for, right, for our city. And yet, Jesus said, but you have left your first love. All of that wasn't enough. And we should pray for them, don't get me wrong, we want to see these things, but it wasn't enough. They had left their first love or they had forsaken their first love. There was a separation from their first love for Jesus. And it uh, kind of speaks, that word that's been used speaks to um, some sort of deliberate act. Yeah, it might not be immediate. It's different than losing something. When we lose something, generally I feel like it's, it's kind of by accident. Yeah, There's, you don't mean to do it. There are some people who lose the same thing on a daily basis, and in my mind you're kind of trying at that point, like maybe that's intentional. I'm married to one of those people. John, do you know where your wallet phone keys are at this present moment? No? Yeah. <laughs> but leaving something, forsaking something, there's a deliberation there. Even if it wasn't immediate, it might just be... I'm really tired today. Oh, I'm so busy. You know, I have to get da, 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 all done first. Then maybe I can spare some time for God. Okay. 
the thing is, even though when something's new, that first love, and it might be exciting, sometimes over time maybe the excitement wanes a little bit or ebbs and flows, but there should be this transition into a depth that makes it even stronger. Right, so when you first get married, I know when we first got married, there was a, um, I was in a new job and I would travel Monday to Friday for the first, like, you know, for a couple of months. It wasn't the first couple of months, but for a couple of months. And so I was only home for Saturday, Sunday, and then I'd be off again at five o'clock on Monday morning. Um, and one day I came, was coming back from Wellington, flight got delayed, got delayed, got delayed, finally got on the flight, spent two hours in the air circling because the weather wasn't good enough and we flew back to Wellington instead. And I remember being like, oh, I just want to get home, you know, like I just want to see my husband. I just want to, you know, be at home for literally the two days that we get of, of these couple of months. Um, and then because we were flying back, and, and I couldn't even tell him because I'm stuck in the plane in the air, um, and then the next flight that we could get wasn't until like the Saturday night. But I remember being confronted about that because I was like, what if I was that desperate and all of my thought was centered around how I can experience more of Jesus? How can I go deeper in his presence? How can, what if that's what I was thinking on instead of constantly like, how am I going to get home? You know, my cousin works in the Air Force. Maybe they've got a little plane that could take me. You know, like at the end of the day, that's all very well. But what if my, um, my zeal was to be deeper with Jesus to the same extent or more? It should be more, right? What happened to that excitement for the church? What happened to that excitement of, of their first love? And so they're called to repent. They need to remember. Consider how you've fallen. Remember how it was back in the beginning. And change of mind. Not just feel bad. Mm, I heard this thing about, you know, how I, I should try and, and spend more time with God. Oh, I didn't do that. I should feel bad about it. And then tomorrow, mm, I'm tired again. You know, we actually have to change our mind. We have to do something different. Remember, change our mind and do. Is it reading? Is it praying? Is it learning? Is it an excitement to share with other people and meditate on the things of God? What is it that you've lost some of your zeal for from the first love? Psalm 39.6 says, All our busy rushing ends in nothing. We run after things, the things of this world sometimes. Sometimes it's even things of the church. You know, we, we need this extra course, we need this extra program, these things will help me to grow, they'll help me to be stable. We need them, I'm not trying to knock them at all. But they shouldn't come at the sacrifice of spending quality time with our Lord and Saviour. I think it's a powerful distraction of the enemy, eh? To keep us so busy, to keep us focused on things that we think um, are of God, but we're missing the essence of meeting with him. You know, even in the Old Testament, right back in Numbers, when God is talking to them about the sacrifices, how to do it, how to go about it, um, there were some daily basics that they weren't allowed to compromise on. They would do all the extras for the festivals and for all these other things going on, but the daily sacrifice didn't stop. And it should be the same with us today. That daily commitment to the Lord, that daily time with him, the daily laying down of our life, it doesn't stop just because there's other stuff we can do for him. 
Oops, sorry. There's a warning in here. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's a pretty weighty warning. I'm not really sure uh, what a church, I guess it looks like an organization, a church without God's presence. His glory was going to depart. I will take my very presence from among you if you don't repent and come back to your first love. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm pretty sure we don't want to be a church where we just do a whole lot of things, where we just run like a business. What's the point if his presence isn't in our midst? But there's a promise of victory. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How special is that when you're given... Uh, when you're on the verge of losing the very presence of God. But if you can overcome this, if you can come back, remember how it was in the beginning, and come back to me, you will make it to heaven. There's a return, a restoration in that promise of being able to eat from the tree of life in the very presence of God. Our righteousness, real righteousness, comes only from God's covering, not from our own. And we should work with, uh, for him, with him, with all of our might. We should give him everything we've got. But I liked this quote from Oswald Chambers that says, Our ordinary abilities will never worship God unless they are transformed by the indwelling Son of God. And indwelling meaning a permanent presence. Anything we do doesn't bring worship to God unless they are centered around him. This is from Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I remember reading that, and John and I have talked about it a number of times, and it confronts us every time. Because we can do the things of God, we can understand his heart and we can be busy for him and they're all good things. But if we don't know him, it doesn't cut it. He wants communion with us, yeah? It's not just, it's not doom and gloom, he actually wants relationship with us. He wants us to be in his presence, he wants us to yearn for more of him. It's, um, it's those that chase after him that will have greater intimacy, not because they've earned it, not because of the things we do, but because we're more interested. Yeah? Who do, you, um, who do you like to spend more time with? The people who brush you off and are kind of like, yeah, cool, lovely to see you, great. You know, we won't talk again for a while. Or do you want the people who, you know, encourage you and come to you and they want to spend time with you? That, uh, that kind of brings about something within you, right, that you want to pursue that relationship, yeah? What are we interested in? Do we want to be doers? Do we want to be beers? I think is something we've been talking about at the home group as well. If we look at the letter to Sardis, to the church of Sardis, 
To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Um, now, at this time, from, from my understanding, the city um, you know, had had its best day. It was maybe starting to decline, but it was known for its softness, its luxury. It was pleasure-loving, but that also led to a lack of discipline. There was a reputation in the city for apathy uh, and for immorality. But the church had signs of vitality. It was all go, yeah? They had different meetings on. They would have had a, um, you know, a pastor who was enthusiastic. There was a reputation of being alive. From the outside, everything looked like this was a happening place. And yet Jesus describes them as dead. Dead means there's no fight. Yeah? Dead is dead. There's nothing left. There's no threat to the enemy if you're dead, which means all of that other stuff that was happening wasn't a guarantee of their true spiritual character. Not all hope was lost. He says, strengthen what remains, yeah? And with Jesus, there's always hope. He is in the business of raising the dead, which is Fantastic news for all of us. <laughs> they needed to remember what they had received and heard, but also how they had received it. Again, think about that first love. When you first receive that love of Christ, what does that look like? They needed to know what they had and they needed to hold fast to it. Repenting and making the word of God the authority in their life again. 2 Peter 2.20, um, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and again are entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred commitment that was passed on to them. It would be worse off to know and turn away from than to just not know at all. It also talks about their deeds being unfinished and the word used there is um, pleru. Again, if anyone uh, knows better how to speak Greek, please feel free to give me a lesson afterwards. Uh, it means to the full or to be complete in every way. Again, the presence of works was not enough. It doesn't measure up uh, to God. There needs to be a particular intent, a particular um, heart behind it and purpose, um, a manner in which it's done in order for it to be perfect before God. How on earth could those works have been complete if they lacked the presence of the Lord? If they lacked the life of God, how can it make a difference? And the warning is, if you do not repent, I will come like a thief, at which time you will not know. This city um, was one that was set up well in terms of defense, yeah? but it had been conquered um, because of its 
lack of watchfulness. Um, and overconfidence, I guess, that led them to, um, to cease being watchful, to cease being alert. Winston Churchill gave this quote, um, and I think it was World War II, but I must drop one word of caution for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence, leading to neglect or slothfulness is the worst of martial crimes, worst of the crimes in war times. Overconfidence that can lead to slothfulness. Have we ever found ourselves in a place like that? Where we're maybe a little bit complacent. We know that God's always there. And so we go about being busy. John talked last week about the perspective and the thought life of, of people in the battle. Where are we standing? Where are we placing ourselves? He commands them to be watchful. <laughs> we used to go, um, Joseph was in school, we used to go and watch uh, the basketball games. These, I tell you, those games are a real test of my character because I love to be the encourager. Uh, but then you've got the parents over here are like, just knock them over, it's fine. And the ref who's not calling anything and, you know, then and challenged me a few times. Anyway, there was this one um, kid in their team, and please say it's none of the ones that are here. There was this one kid in their team who, um, he was there on the court, <laughs> he wasn't really present, right? Kind of would like meander up and down. <laughs> anyway, one day the coach had obviously had enough and he pulls him aside during one of the breaks and he's like, be alert, be alert. <laughs> Do you know the thing is, they didn't have a problem with how many people were on the court. They weren't lacking numbers, yeah? But he wasn't alert. He wasn't in the game. His mind wasn't focused on the game. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's um, a saying sometimes that people will use about the dying church. And generally, my um, experience has been that that's been used in a context of numbers. But the real risk I think that we face, the one that we should be more concerned about, is if we're a church dying from the lack of presence. We can have all the numbers in the world. It doesn't matter if he's not here. We need to get on the court and be in the game. Fix our mind on the things of him and do it with him. Again, the promise, they will walk with me for those who have not soiled their garments, will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Um, there's a, a representation here um, of something that was like culturally in that city also quite important. This, um, the clean garments um, were quite important to, to the people of the world in terms of the way that they approached their own um, deities when you think about the kind of culture that these people were invited, uh, that were involved in. Clean garments were incredibly important. More importantly is the fact that Jesus says he's gonna clothe them in white. In a, in a um, city that is rife with sin and rife with immorality, he is going to make them pure and clothe them in white. And the garment is representative of his holiness, being clothed appropriately to go into his holy of holies. 
and walking with him represents and illustrates that closeness, yeah, that relationship to be walking alongside. What a promise. Are you on guard? Am I on guard? Would Jesus describe us as being watchful, as being alert? Or is he pulling you aside at the moment and going, I need you to wake up? The things that we're doing, are they complete? Are they really complete because we have them centered around him? Or are they just activities? Jesus pursues us, yeah, there's no doubt about it. He is gracious, he is patient, he is kind, but he gives us very real warnings in this book. And I encourage you to go and study uh, these different letters because there is so much in them. He gives us very real consequences. He gives us the option to repent. But there are some non-negotiables for us and the choices that we make around them echo throughout eternity. We want to be a people as part of the body of Christ, Omega Church collectively, who influence. We don't want to be an example of inoffensive Christianity or an example of people who compromise on the word and the truth of God. And for that to happen, we need to be a people who truly know him, who can truly recognize him and walk in a depth of conversation with him. So if Jesus were coming toward you, would you recognize him? How deep would your interaction with him look like? We're the church. We need to bring the excitement of our first love back. Only then can we even hope to make a difference in the world around us for his glory. a shorter message today but I hope that there's something in there that makes you go I need to do something different not tomorrow today something has to change whether it's that there needs to be um, an enthusiasm again for the things of God whether it's that you know you need to get on guard and get in the game would you pray with me Lord, we want to thank you. Lord, you give us your word so that we can know you deeper. You give us your word, Lord, so that we can be equipped for this world that we live in in a way that brings glory to your name. You give us your word, Lord, so that we can stand in victory and in truth. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, where we have gone about our lives and and got busy thinking we're doing it for you, but maybe we've been lacking in our knowledge of you, Lord, we're sorry. Lord, this morning we want to make a change. We make that decision for you, Lord.
Father, would you increase our, um, our understanding? Would you increase our awareness of your presence? In all that we do, Lord, would it be for the glory of your name and would your presence be there? Father, help us to be watchful. Help us to be bold in this world that compromises on your word and on your truth, Lord. Help us to be bold and stand for what's important, Lord. Help us to be watchful that we don't get complacent. That we don't allow room for the enemy to come in and infiltrate, Lord. But that we would be on guard. Father, thank you that though there is warning and heavy warning, Lord, there is encouragement and there is the promise of victory. We thank you that that's only possible with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.